All right. Okay. So we are here with the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. My name is Kara Barton, and I'm joined with Philip Weigel from CrossFit CLE and Nate Shoemaker from the Case Western Rowing, as well as the Cleveland Rowing Foundation. Yep. Excited to be here. So first, give us a little bit of a background and kind of what gets you involved with the Cleveland Rowing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, kind of background athletically, I didn't actually start in the rowing world. Um, so I grew up as mostly running. I was track and cross country, did a little bit of swimming when I was like really young, tried it in high school, uh, decided that those people are crazier than anyone else. And so I stopped swimming. Um, so basically I was a runner, played a little bit of rugby even and whatever um, in high school, came to college, uh, stumbled across the rowing team from a friend of a friend who was like, hey, you're tall. You might like this. <laughs> Sure. And so um, I joined up like this brings to the end of the fall semester, my freshman year, uh, joined in the winter training. Uh, so on, you know, the rowing machines and everything at the school um, at Ohio University and, you know, kind of never looked back from there. And so, you know, that's oddly enough how a lot of people get involved in this in the first place. Uh, there's some crazy stat to where like 60% of people who row in college have never rowed before in their life. Um, so it's very different than like the, you know, I play peewee soccer or football or whatever, and this is who I am as a person now. Yeah. Um, you'd find it typically yeah. later on in life. I can't um, think of very many high schools that have a rowing program. Yeah, Cleveland so, is a weird one where we have more than most. Yeah, but because of the foundation around it. Right, yeah, because yeah, uh, the Cuyahoga River and plus so many prep schools are around here. Yeah. It's a very common thing at your private schools. Yeah. Uh, most public, the only public school in Cleveland that has one is Shaker. Okay. And they're a rarity. Um, most programs are like city-based. So like Cincinnati uh, has Cincinnati Juniors along with a couple other. Columbus has a couple club programs with very, very few yeah. um, actual school programs, yeah. uh, especially comparatively. So where I grew up down in Canton, we had we didn't they really think that this was a sport outside of like what you yeah. saw in the Olympics sometimes. Everybody came plays football. football. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is if you don't play football, you are at the football game at the very least. <laughs> no, it's 100 percent true. My all my uncles and stuff were all football players. One actually went on to play at Mount and everything. So yeah, so that is that is definitely king. And so um, so yeah, so rode through all through college. You know, I was studying exercise science and nutrition, and I knew I wanted to get into coaching. Originally, I was going to go strength training, stumbled my way into coaching for a small master's team in Akron at Portage Lakes. And um, so that was a lot of fun. It was my first kind of step into coaching and getting paid for it because I did a little bit with my <laughs> That's the hard uh, part. Right, yeah, which is hard. Yeah, the hard part to find anything out. And so I, I started doing it a little bit in college. I was just like coaching our club team is we were mostly an uncoached program. So it was like pulling on the skill sets from other people who came from these high school clubs, like in Pittsburgh and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, all, all that led to, I ended up reaching out to the Gloom Foundry um, a year after I graduated, after I was like trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And I was like, hey, you guys look like you're doing some cool stuff and I would love to be a part of that. And so I reached out to them, got hired up there, um, ended up starting the Laurel team from over on the east side, Laurel School. And I worked with the Foundry for a little while and, you know, kind of one thing led to another, coached them, ended up moving on from the Foundry, got a new career, um, ended up moving Laurel from the Foundry over to Cleveland Rowing Foundation. Uh, and then, you know, 
brief got reached out to by Case Western and now I'm there. And the Laurel's a high school team? Laurel's a high school team, yeah. They're a small uh, private school on the east side, kind of a shaker area. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the graduating class of like old, like 60. So like wow. teeny tiny school. How do you yeah. go about forming a high school team with that small school? It's yeah. hard. It's not easy. So um, you just look at all the kids. You're like, all right, this all talk is that don't play basketball. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. And so, um, you know, a lot of times rowing ends up being one of those sports that people who didn't quite find their home in other sports or they got burnt out, which is a lot of where a lot of college kids come from. Um, I have a good friend from high school. She was a multi-time state swimmer. Uh, now and then was completely burnt out. Went to Ohio State. Now has like three Big Ten titles wow. uh, for rowing. Wow! Never touched an order day in her life. Yeah, and uh, came in real fit. Yeah, she's just a freak athlete. And turned it so over to a different discipline. Yeah, you could have put her in as a gymnast, and she probably still would have won championships. Like yeah. she's just that kind of person. Um, but anyways, the um, with the, with the school that small, you have to really be strategic about it. Of like, what are you going to focus on? Uh, is one of the unique things with rowing is again one most people don't come in with the background of this mm -hmm. and so you kind of have to take them from the ground up which at times can be really beneficial uh, so you're not having to unteach any bad habits that they learn from when they were younger um, they have nothing basically which is good and bad all at the same time the learning curve is insanely steep to begin with but then you figure it out um, and so what we focused on was our smaller boats because rowing starts with, uh, instead of just being like, like with football or soccer or any traditional sports, like you have this many players on the field and you do this, and this is how you play the game. There's, you know, single boats, there's one, per one pe person boats, two people boats, four people, eight people. And so you can run the whole gambit and, you know, it kind of comes down to basic math of like, you need to have three of any really sort of boat class um to form a fast one so kind of think of it as like you have to have you know your first second and third string starters or you know, your starters and your second and your third string to really push to make that first string fast um same thing with we call our you know v1 v2 v3 kind of boats um to where like just so if you focus on if you have enough kids to fill eight eight man boats up and get at least three of those you can be fast yeah. But if not, you kind of have to downsize the boats. And so even with less people, you can still make fast boats because you just downsize the amount of people. And, and it's a very unique situation with that to where you can control the size of the team that you play, which is weird. So, um, so yeah. Are they, are your boats drafting off of each other? No. Okay. I don't know. Uh, uh, I guess well, like... that's not entirely true, I guess. But not in the same way you think about like with cycling. Okay. Like you can get in someone's draft, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, but realistically, that's actually less than ideal uh, because it actually slows you down. Because if you know, if you've been like uh, speed boats or anything like that, like you've been on the water in a boat, before, yeah, yeah. you know, so it creates a wake. That's sort of like, so you can be in somebody's wake. But when you're in someone's wake, the water is disrupted and it is easier to get through, kind of but it's circulating. So it's not like air where you're cutting through the air. The boats are designed to cut through the water already. Yeah. Um, what happens though, is when you place those oars in the water, if the water's already disrupted, there's less to actually grab onto mm -hmm. and actually push, uh, push yourself along. Oh, interesting. So you're dealing with the turbulence of the water yeah. affecting how that oar pulls through it. Exactly. So you're able to put down like less force on it because if it's you know spinning just the same way that like the reason it's not you know, stable. 
yeah, it's not as stable for starters. You can get it sucked under because of that. But it's the same reason that there's like bubblers and diving pools to disrupt the surface tension because it makes the water softer. It's the same concept of like, it feels visible or noticeably different getting into solid water and connecting and going opposed to like almost getting in and pushing off like jello or like something soft uh, kind of idea. Like you will notice a difference. And so that's where toxins, the people that are the small people in the boat that steer and yell at everybody. Um, that's where they come into play of like taking the correct lines to make sure that you're getting clean water and you're getting the right actual racing lines and everything like that. Uh, but that's specifically in the fall racing when you're like, you're actually going single file down the river or something like that. So head racing, it's more like time trial setup. Okay. Um, so where opposed to what's over in the spring where it looks more like a giant trap race on water to where there's buoys lined up, everyone has their lane and go. And that's what you see at the Olympics. That's what you see at the Olympics, yeah. Yeah, but uh, one, some of the most famous races, um, you ever heard of the head of the Charles? Um, yeah, I, in Boston? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that is a head race. That is one of the obviously most famous head races that's been going on forever. Yeah. Um, but they, every boat there, they literally will just, just like a time trial on a bike or running or whatever, it's just go, 10 seconds, go, mm -hmm. 10 seconds, go. Interesting. So that gets weird when you start catching somebody. Yeah. Because then you're fighting through that wash. Exactly. Trying to get around them into your new placement. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Oh, wow. Opposed to also, if you take like, so the Charles and the Cuyahoga are very similar in the fact that they kind of do, you know, zigzag right. all the yeah. way. Um, you know, Cricket, Cuyahoga, Logan, meeting Cricket River, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're also playing with the idea of, okay, am I going to take them on this turn where I have to go on the outside and oh. I'm making up distance and because you have, because you're not just straight line, you're yeah. on a, like a, a actual course. You're on an actual course, like you're a oh, race car cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot more interesting. So do you go into races, I guess, like looking at the the, the different turns? Yeah. So you go into the races. I said that's where um, the coxswains come into play, and they are a oh. huge part of crew boats. So when we say crew boats, somebody refers to that. That's the boats that have four or eight people in them, and then they have a you know a coxswain steering it. Um, opposed to, I call them blind boats, but they're small boats. It's when you have, you know, two or one person, one single person boat where there's no coxswain. So it's the actual person in the boat having to like look back behind them and yeah. won't look where they're going because you face the, the direction you're heading. You face away from the direction you're heading. Yeah. And you're going backwards. Yeah. And so the only person, so it's kind of, I joke, and I feel like I could say this as a rower, is rowers don't have to be the smart ones in the boat. You're just big dumb meatballs that pull on a stick. <laughs> I was like, so I was like, don't think, just pull. Like, just go as fast as you can, go as hard as you can, let the coxswain do the thing. It's my kind of sport. That's why I yeah. uh, just like CrossFit is actually have to pay attention and count it out. How many are <laughs> Yeah. I mean, especially during the sprints in the spring, like you'll, most people kind of like, not most people, but I know a lot of people just kind of like black out a bit during it. It's just like, just no, we're here. Okay. Just and go. Just go. Yeah. yeah. And it's the coxswain's duty to kind of keep people engaged, keep them focused on what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, because it is a very technical sport um, that can go sideways very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing crew, when you have um, four and eight in a boat, yeah. it becomes very important that you sync up that stroke rate. Sure. Yeah. Right? Um, now, I would imagine because, or at least in a, in a single person vessel right mm -hmm. you're, you're piloting 
if you don't have a rudder, yeah. uh, then it's based on how hard do you push up this side. Yep. So if you're in in a, a large boat, does the coxswain have the ability to fully steer that thing, or do you actually have to start applying different pressure on one side over the other to create a turn? So yes, is the answer to that, I guess. Okay. So yeah, uh, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, kind of. And so in the single person boats uh, called skulls, because um, that's actually the style of rowing. If you have two oars, it's called sculling. Uh, if you ever heard of somebody doing a sculler ab workout or a rower, that's you know same thing. Yeah. Uh, that's more of what like the rowing machine mimics, or is that straight pool? Yeah. Uh, opposed to what's called sweeping, which is when you have one oar per rower. Opposed oh, to two oars. Because they're not row. using two. So I'm on the left, she's on the right. Yeah, you're on forward or starboard. And oh. um, so you're actually, that's what's kind of different of when you're coming up for a traditional rowing stroke. If you're in a sweep boat, you're actually reaching out and around. So it's actually creating that torsion on your body to erupt and pulling through. So it's not just a linear yeah. kind of push. Yeah. So, let's um, so there's that rotational factor in there mm -hmm. uh, that for coaches, we have to watch out for like over training one side or the other for athletes as well. But the, some of the rowers I've seen in the clinic is yeah, for that, that exact issue. Or yeah. Doing the, that twisting motion that mm -hmm. I never really considered. Yeah. Cause it's like, I did a strength test in college one time for the, the kids I was coaching. It was kind of part of the exercise science stuff we were doing. I was just doing like some experiments on them, and we actually tested grip strength on port versus starboard side rowers. Um, and it was funny, there was a noticeable difference between like which one was their outside hand, inside hand. Yeah, actually, putting more leverage on that outer one, somewhat. But they also the inside hand is actually the one that we call feathers, that's the one that actually rotates the oar. Oh. And so, you're actually having to put you're putting all your force out there, yeah, because that's what's the longer lever. But when you're talking about that much longer shorter distance you're still having to crank with that side but you're also having to rotate the oar back up to go out and into the water out and in the water but it actually rotates this way as well yeah and so it's called feathering so that's actually where a lot of the grip strength has to come from where mm -hmm. on the outside you're basically just holding it in like a c grip yes, and you're push. just pulling it in and so when it comes to steering though yeah the coxswains actually have to they have a little rudder it's not that big um underneath Basically, it's a boat that's the same length of a school bus and the eights. Wow. And um, so it can work, but just like any boat, it only works when you're moving oh, at speed. Yeah. And so if you're moving slowly or not as fast, like mm -hmm. it's not going to affect it as much. And so you're not going to turn as quickly. What speed are we talking about here? What point does it start kicking in? Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, as far as knots or something goes, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to gauge with that. But like you have to be kind of everyone rowing all at the same time. Like getting the boat are really kind of moving. Um, I would be able to say like miles per hour, like 10 miles an hour, mm -hmm. know, something like that, or knots, whatever that would translate into. Um, and it depends on the shell and everything as well, too. Where and so you do have to implement the rowers, they know kind of call them to action with that, just like a you know, a mushing team, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know. Ports harder, starboard's lighter, will pull you or push you in certain directions, especially in rivers like uh, Charles or Cuyahoga, to where the turns are not just like these big, gorgeous, sweeping turns. Yeah, it's like, and go, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And so yeah. it becomes super, super important. So that um, communication. Yeah. yeah. And to, again, keep your rowers engaged so they are listening to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of deal. And so. Now, with cycling, depending on the type of race, sometimes um, roads are shut down, sometimes they're not shut down. Are the rivers shut down? Yeah, boats? for the most part. So fun fact about Cleveland specifically is 
the so the Cuyahoga is commercial waterway mm -hmm. um, for the freighters going up and down the steel mill and everything else like that. So we actually had to like get like a act of Congress to get this to actually happen every year for the Heather Cuyahoga, which is a huge race that we have here in the city. Um, and so for the race day, we actually shut down shipping from like 5 a.m. until 5 p.m. And it is an ordeal. Like, <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, because you mean, especially in the middle of summer, both freighters are going up and down all day, every day. And that's yeah. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of material that we just have to go. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> oh, we got to do some We, we got to do a thing for us today. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, we were very cognizant of that and we made sure that like we are respecting that so we yeah. are out of the way because it's crazy of like coming around that like three o'clock time we've had it before to where like a freighter is sitting there like <laughs> let's go guys like pull the buoys we're gone i mean we've had a, well, i remember one time we didn't quite get some buoys out and they just like, did a little plastic buoys it's a massive freighter the size yeah. of the sky paper yeah. they don't care like, <laughs> and i don't blame them notice. yeah whatever as long as you didn't hit someone we're good yeah uh but no for the races the yes the rivers get shut down so like yeah. the charles obviously not a commercial waterway so like doesn't really matter but the cuyahoga it's kind of crazy it's yeah. you know we but during practice times and stuff yeah we're right there alongside them well, that's the, like I had a patient one time tell me how, you know, she went to the store and got a bunch of new neon gear to wear on the winter. That is something I never considered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, I want the other boats to be able to see me. That's yeah. a, rowing's a lot more dangerous for the sport than I ever anticipated. <laughs> Specifically here in Cleveland, it, it gets a little sketchy, but like, it's not dangerous to where like, we shouldn't be doing it. And that's one of the things yeah. that like, as a coach, we go through a lot of training um we go through you know a lot of hours of shadowing we have to work our way up through the process and these are like internal foundation rules and everything of like you have to be a trainee first which means you can only take out one shell at a time like one boat for the people that's it and then you work your way up to where you can take two out and then three out and then whatever and depending on the time of year if it's this time of year let's say we randomly got a warm day theoretically we could go out um, we are in what's called cold water rules to where everything gets brought down. So if you normally would be able to take out three boats, now you can only take out two. Um, the only thing is with that doesn't go down as a trainee can still take out one because you yeah, can't just say, ah, you can't take out any. <laughs> one is none. One or none. Um, <laughs> and so we are very well trained with, you know, and very well taken, we take it very seriously of the the safety on the water with it, especially when it comes to working with the kids. Yeah. The adults too. But like, <laughs> you know, we we all like to say that like you're only as safe as your crew is trained, mm -hmm. especially the coxswains. Um, them understanding you, you know, you're communicating with them from a different boat onto the water of like, okay, this giant freighter is going by. And it's not nearly as scary as it looks like. It's freaky the first time it happens because yeah. of course. And you're down here, it's like, huh. Um, and, uh, I could be a buoy. Yeah, I could be. I could be dead. Um, and especially if you're like you hear them on the turns, because you ever seen the freighters go down the river? Yeah. Yeah. So the, when they go around turns, they have the bow thrusters, and it's just picks it up. You can like feel that in the shells, and like you feel the bubbling, and you feel the pressure, and you kind of feel the boat drifting towards the hole that the, the freighter is moving. Uh -huh. And so we have like we 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 train our crews. The coaches all know what to do. And it's one of those like, okay, this is happening. Don't talk. I need to be able to communicate with you now. 
yeah. kind of deal. And obviously in smaller boats, it's a little more sketchy than it is in bigger boats just mm -hmm. because of size. Yeah. And um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a little dangerous, but it's also we take the care to make it Who safe. regulates the training to be uh, so that's a good question. Coaching. Um, so depending on the boathouse, because there's only two at the, at the moment, soon to be three, uh, with Case Western opening up our own. Um, up here, new steel mills here, hopefully at the end of the summer. Knock on wood, money comes through. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, uh, the foundry has their own safety manual. Cleveland Rowing Foundation has their own safety manual. They're pretty much so the same with like slight differences um where they might come down the water on this that the other thing there's like the furbish here is foundry is all youth there and we have adults so they have the ability to go out on their own without coaches and mm -hmm. stuff like that so we have to like compensate for that as well yeah uh, where they don't have that issue because the kids are never allowed to go out by themselves until they're 18. so the only people they have going out there by themselves are other coaches yeah. but still so they cover their bases there but like we internally run things so it's not law but if you want to function out of our facilities you will follow this or you will be gone hmm. um and that's happened more than you know more than once it's not frequent but like yeah. we come down on people hard if they put people at risk especially if it's putting other people at risk it's like it's almost one thing to where okay you're out on your own boat and you did something stupid mm -hmm. but with you're out there with you know three-eighths worth of adults kids college kids whatever it might be like you need to take that seriously. Yeah. Well, the boathouse has a lot of adults. We have a ton of adults, yeah. Um, WRA is the exclusive adult rowing program in the city. Uh -huh. um, outside of Case Western, which you know, college kids, adults yeah. technically. Um, but yeah, they're the um, they're the exclusive one there. I mean, summer rowing league comes around five, six hundred people come through that at minimum. Um, and then you have like, awesome. yeah, it's huge. It's great. It's um, really the best way to get involved. If you ever want to try to be on the water mm -hmm. 15 times a summer, just once a week, we have a little races halfway through. And then at the very end, um, and you get to go in with the novice as a novice with everybody else as a novice. And so yeah. everybody gets to splash around and be chaotic all together. And it's um, a lot, it's like lot, you said, it's a lot, lot of fun. new people who didn't really have a past in rowing mm -hmm. that are just getting into it. Yeah, and it's some of the most, as a coach, I joke that it is the hardest thing in the world to coach. Like <laughs> you guys work with adults. Um, adults that have not done a sport. So like fresh out of college, oh, I was a basketball player or whatever, teaching them a new skill, done. But it's a lot of the people that were getting there, which I think is awesome, are, you know, they're 40, 50, Mm -hmm. something years old the last time they did something athletic was more than likely high school mm -hmm. so 30 years ago at minimum sometimes and so you're it's like if you think about it from that perspective you're like why can't you understand what i'm trying to teach you yeah well it's like well because they haven't learned a new motor skill yeah in 30 years <laughs> of course they can't like you it'd be hard for you to learn a new motor skill right now if you haven't done anything either yeah. and so it's a crazy concept because we take what we do on the urge and we go basically five minutes. Okay, you get the basic pattern, arms, body, legs, and drive. Okay, cool, we're good. Now we're gonna make things super complicated, sort of. But the thing I always tell people is like, first day is gonna be complete information overload. Mm -hmm. Come back tomorrow or next week, you will remember what's the general rule, sixty percent of what you what you learned, right? And it'll be significantly easier. You mm -hmm. will 
pick up more and more of it each time. But that initial time is just like, what is happening? Yeah. You're using your words that I don't know. There's so many things happening at the same time. Like what, what, what's, what, what's going on? And so we have to be really cognizant of that. So we don't like scare people off from the sport. Um, one of our missions this year as CRF is kind of just overarchingly lower the, lower the standard, sorry, lower the bar. <laughs> what do I say this? Lower the bar and barrier to getting into rowing just across the board. That's like, you know, if it's socioeconomic or if it's actual ability level, um, we're starting to start investing in para stuff this year oh, cool. um, and everything with our vets program. And so we're doing everything we can to make it accessible yeah. for as many people as possible. Yeah. But cool. yeah, it's a, it's a good time. Because um, a lot of the people that I interact with um, on that, that do rowing, they're coming in rowing once a week and then doing CrossFit you know, two to three times a week yeah. as a cross training and really because they, they get that social interaction from both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was definitely one of those masks when I- That's where I met you. Yeah, so I met you. Through a Bonskate bullied me into it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a huge aspect of it. And I, that's, we, I love the idea of adult sport in general. I mean, some people it's pickleball, some people it's whatever, but like some people, people do this. And amongst other things, I mean, I have a friend who was in a bocce league at um i think it's yeah i think it's over on the east side somewhere but like it was like all right like sounds like a great time um but i was like guys sign me up i'm playing um, the wrong sports yeah right um yeah no i mean the social aspect of it's huge um not to mention the fact of like you just get to be around people yeah. which i think fills especially as we've learned the last few years right people need that and um more and more people are working from home and going crazy yeah i mean i, I my new job that i have i'm working from home because i am a territory rep but like i see clients and things but i don't like have that office camaraderie so it's huge for me personally yeah of like being involved in something and yeah. you get the added benefit and the added like camaraderie of like you have your team that even if you're not in the boat chit-chatting with each other you're in it together you're doing the thing and then you know you go grab a beer afterwards mm -hmm. it's that's what the srl is at the end of the day it's beerly growing um <laughs> which is fantastic yeah as far as i'm concerned but so when you're training um like going from the high school kids to the adult league what does that programming look like in terms of the exercises so when you go to the adult league there's two separate things you can look at when you say adult league so you have masters which is the actual like competitive I mean, it's all masters, but we call it uh, sweeps or you know competitive masters, where they'll actually go and we'll go and race and we'll go to competitions and you know that's where somebody like you and your Olympic level people are kind of at is you know they're past college they're still doing this competitively um, they take it very seriously and that reflects very similarly to the college level mm -hmm. uh, opposed to like your rec league stuff which is more just like. We're going to learn the basics. We're going to go paddle around. We might do some pieces that are a little bit more intense just for the sake of doing it. Um, but I would say the biggest difference for me is I've coached high school. I've coached some middle school programs, like just you know, intro stuff. Um, I've coached masters in college. So I've been the whole gambit of it. The biggest difference to me is teaching freshmen and novice high schoolers versus teaching freshmen and novice college kids. And stuff and like I joked about uh, when I was especially when I was coaching a short stand helping out with St. Ed's um, you know the high school boys who are going to grow nine inches over the next three years they don't know where their fingertips are at <laughs> and so they're 
you know, just a gangly, whatever in the first place. So like the technique, they, the focus on them is not developing power and developing strength and developing cardio endurance. It's teaching them to be coordinated mm-hmm. and to teach them how to be very body aware, mm-hmm. um, which is a unique thing that people don't think about when they get into rowing. Because you get onto the earth and you're just wailing on it. But there's the body awareness. There's the, you know, when they're first learning, it's all about learning just the proper sequencing of, how to get the proper stroke and how to work together with your teammates to all do it the same. Um, one of my sayings is a lot of ways to row right. There's a lot of ways to row wrong, but rowing differently than the person in front of you and behind you is the number one way to row wrong. Mm-hmm. Is if you're all rowing the same, that's better than any super masterful technique that somebody might have. Um, and so it's learning to like, this is how we row in this program. This is how we will mesh up with the people, uh, you know, if it's timing or how we're applying pressure or how we're even carrying our oar up the slide and everything. It's all about that like initial immersion into what does it mean to do rowing mm-hmm. and less of the, by the time they get to become seniors, you know, in high school, that's when we're working on being explosive. That's when we're working on, you know, the finer tuning and just like putting down as much pressure as you can um, onto it. Cause the rest of the fine details are worked out um and then when i said with novice with college kids especially ones that maybe like came from somewhat of an athletic background that learning occurs a lot faster the and then you, you get to jump back jump into the power and the application and the crew synchronization a lot sooner mm-hmm. um, but yeah with high schoolers i would say freshman sophomore and even some of your junior year technique is everything um, it makes it a little different than a lot of sports to where you teach gross motor and you work your way down where to with rowing, it's almost the opposite way to where you have to teach the fine tuning skills and then work up to being able to the power, power into those. Yeah. Um, and so that does make it the learning just a little bit weird because we're talking about like, okay, you're lowering your hands three inches. We need you to lower them an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. Understand that difference is just going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I mean, you see that in CrossFit with the Ergs of where people are pulling the handles too. Yeah. I mean, think about uh, when I, the rowing stroke is a lot like um, this. Is what actually got me into Olympic lifting for a little while was is a lot like learning to teach somebody how to do a clean or teach them how to do uh, kind of a snap or like a clean pull more than anything else. Um, less of the actual catch portion of it, obviously. But um, it's, it's a very complicated, te- it's a very basic movement at the end of the day. It's cool, you'll catch it, you accelerate it up, but there's so many little things that you could do to go wrong that you will never have a perfect clean. You will never have a perfect stroke in the same way to where like you always could have done this one thing just a little different. Um, you know, you, you're always in pursuit of that, especially because as you guys, you've done actual lifting. Have you competed with Olympic lifting? I think you did, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was sure if you had not. But like, yeah, especially when you get up there and wait, like just that little bit of timing off, just that like you pulled here more than here, whatever, it's it's gone, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's it's very similar kind of in, in that kind of mindset uh, with it. But I forget how we got there. Uh, <laughs> how are you teaching that power and strength of the higher the older athletes the older athletes um the more developed athletes i guess mm-hmm. um the way we're doing that in 
I'm glad to see rowing finally get this way is finally I'm taking the approach very much so as learning to be strong off the water and off the earth and being able to apply that to the water. Um, strength training is a very new concept in rowing. Um, you know, oddly enough, the, they used to do crazy things where it was like, oh, you're going to sit here and you're going to put 135 on the bar and then you're going to give me 200 reps of deadlift. And even like with some crazy standard, that's, that's insane. And you're not actually learning anything. So that was like where they thought strength training was. Um, but we're finally getting to the aspect of like, Hey, it's all about perceived exertion. It's a lot about like, if you can deadlift, I would rather have a bigger, faster, stronger athlete than someone who has go and like, you can deadlift 450, like then if they're trying to put on the same pressure as someone who can't, isn't nearly as strong, their perceived exertion is considerably less right yeah um so with strength comes endurance is kind mm -hmm. of the mindset we're at so we're trying to make them stronger and that's with using the rowing machines that's with using like being on the bikes for extra cardio just to get them off and stuff and then uh the funny one to me was always and this might because northern european countries did rowing a lot uh was cross-country skiing is a huge training mechanism for rowers mm -hmm. I think it's more of a cultural historic thing than it is a super effective thing. Um, but it's just, I know University of Washington just had a big trip with their girls um, recently where they all went cross country skiing for the entire weekend. Like it's a, it's a thing for some reason. Uh, but with ours, you know, we teach them on the ergs. Uh, today we're actually working on a lot of mobility. Uh, we're doing overhead squats and stuff this morning with them and a lot of you know, just making sure that they're able to get to the right positions before they're able to actually apply the power. Um, but we have them doing the big, you know, the big three. There's squatting, benching, deadlifting. Um, eventually, we're going to get some of the more advanced ones up to doing clean pulls, up to doing, you know, a lot of that more dynamic kind of explosive work. Uh, but, you know, the more traditional strength training that never existed in rowing is it was all just sit your butt down on nerd and row. Um, it's now getting part of it. I think part of that's also injury prevention as well, because we saw people just blowing out their backs and yeah. you know, overexertion and everything else. Um, just like with cyclists or swimmers is one that really comes to mind. I've just all the time Fishing over, versions. just over and over again. And so being able to really focus on strengthening the stabilization muscles as well as <clears throat> raising their actual power through very classic traditional lifts is the best way to start. Um, and it's just, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept because it is, we don't, I, I want them to be able to, you know, pull 450 off the ground, obviously, or something like that. But the thing is, is like, that's the average stroke pressure on a stroke is only 135 pounds on your hands. And so 120 is around 135. So like, so I think average is like 128 or something weird. Um, so we don't need them to be this like super max power lifter kind of thing. It is much more closer to a CrossFit kind of activity to where it's explosive, but it's also cardio. And it's also, yeah. you know, the strength aspect in it too. Um, even, is, even the duration, it's very much a high intensity sport. Yeah. What's the longest actual race distance? Uh, 5,000 meters. So you're 20 minutes yeah. ish, and then give or take. Falls in right in line with 95% of any CrossFit program. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. six, well, three, 
to 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah. All of them be right in there. Yeah, exactly. It's high, it's high intensity training. And that's where I you know my person like Katie and I, my other coach and I are really pulling away from because she came from a very, very traditional program um, in Pittsburgh. And then she rode for Marietta and it was all about meters and just sitting down and going for it. We're, our kids would never sit down for more than 30 minutes on there at any one time. Um, they might do it once and that'll be more of a mental exercise than it will physical. Like you can do this. It is too. It yeah. gets annoying. Your butt hurts. Your butt hurts. <laughs> and it's more about like establishing that rhythm of you're going to hit this. But yeah, it's for those windows, the 2K races that we were raced here in the spring, yeah. six to eight minutes. Hopefully no, no slower than that. <laughs> um, but like two minute average on 500 is an eight minute race. Yeah. Um, so that's where we shoot for ideally, obviously faster the better. And then master's rowing is even slower or even quicker as far as time-wise. Um, it's 1,000 meter races. So you're looking at three, four minutes most sprint. It's just go. Yeah, that's yeah. not really holding much back. That's it's laid all out. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It's not quite 500 meter style sprint where it's just wail until you're done. Yeah. But it, it does. <laughs> I don't leave it much in the tank. I hate yeah. 1Ks. They're so painful. They suck. Yeah. Oh. Uh, our kids are doing those this morning, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. We had like a tweet. We had them shifting up every 250 because mm -hmm. they were teaching them how to negative split. Um, so we're getting faster. We attack as we go instead yeah. of. Why and hold on and shout. Yeah. And so it's it's that mentality of like if it's short enough, it's long enough, it's short enough to go as hard as you possibly can, but it's long enough to suck because you went as hard as you possibly can. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Um it's the some of the reason why like in track you use your track and field at all when you're in high school. I did the field uh, events. Field events. <laughs> discus thrower. Uh, I was more shot put. I mean, <laughs> okay. I can see discus though. Here, um, but yeah. So I, I liken it to like the mile, to where like it's yeah. if, you know, everybody's done a time mile, right? But it's like the perfect distance to make you want to kill yourself a little bit. But like, you know, you you can't go out and just like push it all out there. You have to be a little bit tactful yeah. about this. You have to go. Real hard at the beginning, real hard at the middle, and real hard at the end. Yeah. But if you go <laughs> a little too much at the beginning, then yeah. you walk across that line. Yeah, then you're, you're yeah. crawling. So it's budgeting just that little bit to, yeah. to save for the duration. And just like a CrossFit workout as well. Of like if you take, okay, we're doing three rounds of this, you know. And you spend it all on round one, yeah. then you're going to crawl the next two. Yeah, be humble. Don't put that extra plate on yeah <laughs> exactly maybe you don't need quite as high as a box like <laughs> so when you're coaching the case western kids yeah. what's the ratio of having them on an erg and doing and in the weight room as compared to actually going out in the water so right now um and we this is very much so a northern roman kind of idea too of if we have the opportunity to be on the water we will because it is so sparse um, ironically, we row during the worst times of the year to possibly row, you know, fall and spring in Ohio, fall ends cold, spring starts cold. Uh, we don't actually compete over the summer. Uh, that's when the masters rows compete because they're smart. And, um, <laughs> like we've been in this long enough. We're not <laughs> we doing know. this anymore. It's just when it lines up, but like it's Northern, Northern sports. I mean, same thing you say about track, cross country and track, right? It's ends cold, starts cold. Mm -hmm. And, um, but so we right now are exclusively on, on land because it's 30 degrees out and the river should be freezing here in the next couple of weeks, right? Um, but once we get onto, once it becomes time to be on the water, 
we will not touch the ERCs. Um, maybe once a week. Um, if it's like, hey, we want to do a 2K test, because um, we base a lot off of that, uh, but it's not everything. You know, your, whatever your 2K time trial, your PR is, whatever, that's all well and good. That's one of like three factors that all weigh into what if you make a vote or not. Um, but that's where it kind of comes into like, we will pull them off the ERGs, but keep them lifting and we will keep them doing that kind of land stuff. Uh, but we got so, so you'll do water training, but yeah. then also strength training to go away. Strength training will never go away, uh, just because you can, you know, we all learned again over the pandemic, strength goes away real, real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you know, if we can keep them constantly being under, you know, getting them under the bar, uh, keeping them pulling something big, picking something up, yeah. that's going to help with longevity. That's going to help with just keeping that power development and also just like injury prevention in general. Yeah, um, so, but again, if I have an option, if I have the option of making them go back and forth on a seat, I'd rather put them in a boat and have to do that than sitting on the Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's the springtime gets crazy. We start back on the water. We're going to be going out of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, March 13th, something like that, 7th to the 13th, somewhere around there uh, for the spring break trip. Uh, we will come back and maybe it'll be warm enough to be on the water here. Maybe it won't. Uh, we'll find out. But the season ends May 15th, uh, Dadville in Philadelphia. So April is our entire season, essentially. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a real short. It's quick. It goes wow. real quick. Okay, so all the base training and, and all that prep work and even figuring out teams is going to happen this winter. A lot of it, yeah. Um, and that's where they cut their teeth on it. Of like, we, We've been talking a lot about our schedule, too, because it's an ordeal to go to a race. Um, you know, you have to take apart the boats, take all the riggers off where the, sort of the metal things to stick on the side. Uh, you have to take all the riggers off. You have to load up the trailer. You have to rent a, you know, an F-250 from Enterprise, get it all the way you know, three hours away to the, the next regatta. And then you come back, you have to do the same thing. So you just burn two whole practice days, just packing up, packing up and coming back. Um, and so it's like, we can go to a couple of regattas, go to a regatta like almost every weekend. But we have to also be mindful that they're still students mm -hmm. and they're in a very difficult university specifically for ours. Mm -hmm. um, or we can go to like maybe two or three uh, this, uh, this spring and really focus on honing in for those two or three. Um, we're even working on getting together with Michigan State and you know talking to them about like, hey, could we borrow boats when we come up there? Because the logistics of it's just such a nightmare. But if we say, hey, rent some vans, Let's go. Yeah. Because uh, we had Carnegie Mellon come up from Pittsburgh. We did that for them. Okay. Uh, they drove up. We have enough boats. We put them all out in it. It was chaos, but it worked and we got it done. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. The way collegiate horseback riding works is that whoever's the school that's hosting the horse show has the horses there. Yeah. And then when the athletes show up and you draw a horse out of the hat and that's who you get really? on. And so you don't have to worry about loading up your horses and getting them to. The, like any other state because yeah. they're just sitting there waiting for you yeah and isn't it i would imagine it's pretty dangerous to travel with horses like it's not it's safe enough but like not necessarily safe thing you um, do all the time it's not something you want to do all the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little difficult yeah i just i can't imagine but um yeah a similar thing it makes it a lot easier to get there and do yeah. the thing and that's one of the coolest things about college rowing is that is fairly common uh where well, high school rowing is a lot of you go to these regattas 
30 teams are there. It's an all day affair, sometimes a two day affair. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole big thing. College is still the very traditional show up. We could row five races against, you know, whomever it might be, go down to Cincinnati, race their club team or Miami or whatever it might be. And um, we'll race them. We'll be back by dinner. Yeah. Like that's the way it should be. And that's what in college because it's come, go do it, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you ever go to a high school race, it is insanity when it comes to the parents. Um, <laughs> it is, looks like, do you run down the Muni lot to tailgate for Browns yeah. game? Yeah, that, but like bigger. Um, <laughs> I saw a school one time, parents were like, they have these tents set up and they had like three grills set up all around <laughs> and they had like 200 kids on the team. So they're like feeding an army. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, it's Upper Arlington down in Columbus. And uh, yeah, and so they had everything. There was a dad rolling sushi rolls for the day. <laughs> I think it's like a competition. I think a high school rower. Yeah, that's the true race of the day. It's who has the best tent. Um, it's wild. Um, and so with colleges, obviously, don't have the parents aren't coming to do it. It's just the kids throw up a tent, hopefully stay warm. Let's get it in out. Let's go home. Yeah. Um, that's sort of a deal. But yeah, it's so that's, a, that's kind of a crazy thing about it too, is like, you know, I grew up in sports to where I was racing every Saturday. Mm-hmm. you know with cross country and track and stuff and football you're playing football every friday soccer games probably do one yeah. or two a week sometimes week yeah so. uh we're rowing you might in your entire year you could maybe race six times mm-hmm. the entire time and that's between fall and spring wow. um you know sometimes you'll go to races that are big enough to where they'll have prelims semi-finals finals and if you're good mm-hmm. enough you race three times that day yeah. but you might go to three races so wow. it's a lot of time and training um, because there is so much to do, but also because putting on a regatta all as well is a huge thing. Yeah. And it's not like with cross country track where it's like, okay, sign up for the slots you want to do. Here we go. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's an ordeal, but it's, it's fun. Um, it's an adventure every time we go. Um, you know, one of the cool things about it, just like with any other racing sport that's out in the open. The conditions could be anything, but it's not just rain or sleet or snow that you're dealing with. It's crosswinds on the water. Which way is the river flowing today? Is it flowing fast or is it flowing slow? Like that's going to affect everything. Mm-hmm. Um, even on which lane you get, if it's a shallower lane, your boat's going to be slower because you're more in contact with the like deeper waters faster because you're closer, you're farther away from the depth, and it gives you a faster run. Mm-hmm. And, like there's all these really weird nuances that go along with it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what the racing general thing kind of looks like. Okay. It's fun. So relating this kind of back into the CrossFit gyms or just gyms yeah. in general. Yeah. Uh, if a, your average gym goer wanted to get better at rowing, yeah. what are some of the things that you would tell them? Um, the best thing I think you could do is just be patient with yourself and not try to just muscle it. Um, you know, yeah. it's yeah, right. <laughs> uh, it's not all about strength. I don't at the like end of either day. of those things. Yeah, it's all about strength at the end. It's not all about strength at the end of the day. Um, it's first off, uh, I know CrossFit a lot of times goes with calories. Um, no one else in the row, no one in the rowing world does that. Um, and it's very strange to all of us that people, the CrossFitters, do that. And I, wattage is a new concept that's getting its way into uh, the rowing world. I think it's very effective, uh, but. The biggest rule that people can, if you're trying to develop your skill and trying to become a more efficient rower, which at the end of the day, this is what it's all about, is like you can sit there at 
34 stroke rating and bounce back and forth and somebody who's throwing half the rating can go twice as fast as you are is really think about what I call sequencing it out to where it's that fundamentals you get to the finish your arms go out the body comes over as soon as your hands pass your knees that's when the legs come up and it's because at the end of the day it's a hip hinge and so it is a deadlift it is a clean pull um or what it might be and so it's find that ratio of just you know, arms, body, legs, big explosive drive. And the, the cue that I like to use is jump because a, a lot of times it's arms, body, legs, legs, body, arms. When you end up having people, it's like they shoot their legs out, the handle's still sitting there and then they crank with their back and then they yeah, muscle their arms in where it really should just be like clean pull, go jump pull and just keeping it, keeping the momentum going. So it's ideally you have a ratio that's actually one to three. So it's drive two three drive two three like you're getting up to that catch so it should be that that's what got a weird dynamic of it of like opposed to a cycling or running or swimming there is dead time between each and every stroke and on the water that's really applicable because the, that is when your boat moves um it's the fastest moment when the oar releases from the water but you should be covering entire boat length every single time so a good ratio for that is if you're looking on the earth and you see the meters counting up mm -hmm. should be going for at least 10 meters or so every single time every single stroke and so it should be you know you're landing on thinking stroke on the three on the three on the three so that it's a really good way to teach ratio but that's that's very dependent on power and yeah. size it's an answer if i put you two on rowers side by side <laughs> one stroke for you is going to yield time and a half per meter maybe uh probably not i mean you'd be really surprised on like it doesn't make that much of a difference um and it's when you're getting into actual like you're trying to lower your 2k you're trying to lower your 500 meter sprint time during a during a word workout um during crossfit class you know or, or during crossfit workout Again, I, I, I can demonstrate before I've done it of like, I could row at twice this rating at a super high rating and be going slower than not to where if you can't get that 10 meters, if you can't get that distance, you're not going to do yourself any favor by cranking up your stroke rating to try to get it down because you're just going to one, blow yourself up because there's higher reps um, to where you're better off focusing on, you know, engaging those legs, getting the good strong push off of it and then just being efficient. Um, I like to talk about the first top quarter of the stroke is from the catch, which is when we're up by the fan, uh, to your toes is nothing but just an initial leg drive. So think about it like you're deadlifting, you're locking that bar into place, right? You're taking out the slack. And then from there, you're standing up with it. You're basically standing up while you're sitting down. And so it's that, it's that push, initial catch, and then it's an acceleration from there. And so, you know, yeah, Karen and I are, what, how tall are you? Uh, five, five on a good day. Yeah, so five, five, <laughs> I'm a foot taller than you. Um, but like, yes, our power differences might be a little bit different, but like per stroke could easily, you know, pretty much so get there. But yeah, you might have to go a little bit higher on the stroke rating, just like by, we're talking two beats or so. So instead of a 30 to 32, instead of a 20 to 22 or whatever it might be. And so it's not this dramatic difference that you need to look bouncing back and forth um on to really get and so 
it's efficiency at the end so of the day. So the shorter you are, the higher your stroke rate might be, is what you're saying? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, the other side of it too is like how you're applying that force. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that is the best tool on the earth that never goes used is that little graph that does a little yeah, yeah. line. Yeah, and no, very few people actually use that and you should because that's actually showing the amount of pressure you're putting over top of the distance of the stroke. Okay. So you can see if you're if you're doing a whole bunch of yank at the end as a spike on the tail, yeah. rather than a nice smooth rip up and then a trickle down. Yeah, well, ideally the way I teach, um, and this is more of a University of Washington thing that I picked up from a guy who used to row there, that coach was saying as with, um, he, it's, you want to like a perfect parabola. Okay. So the idea is, you know, how much space can you create underneath that line? Because that's the power, right? If you just go like, you all remember back to basic mm -hmm. like geometry and whatever else. Uh, I guess we calculus. I don't know. Yeah, but like, I think it's more calculus. But sounds like the amount of space underneath there is the volume that's in there. So if you really spike up at the front and it's like this hard initial leg drive that there's no acceleration to it, and it's that like sharp up peak and then strong taper off, you're really not getting that much. You're putting a lot of force on your body um, at the very, very initial catch, but you're not carrying that pressure through. So we're a longer, smoother stroke to where you're taking that graph and like you're, you're sitting there and it's going from the base, nice even curve up, nice even curve down. It's going the entire length of that screen. That's the ideal stroke. It is smooth. Okay. It's an even application. Um, you know, that means that you're using your entire body the entire time to press all the way through, not just hitting it and getting to the finish. So that is a really powerful screen to use and to just kind of work on how does this feel? Okay, if I push here, where do I think that I'm kind of coming from? Yeah. Um, and, you know, working with somebody who is watching you actually do it and has an idea of what the right stroke should look like is really big too. I think if you sign a beer, that's awesome, but even for some of us more developed, for some of the more developed athletes and stuff, if you're doing a new skill, you might not totally know what you look like, and it yeah. might feel right, but it's not necessarily. Well, luckily, rowing, at least on ERG, is pretty easy to film. Yeah, very easy to film. <laughs> Shoot a lot of film, and they go, oh, yeah, I do look out here to do it. Yeah, and you'll feel it really quickly, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, biggest tips, sequence it out, really think about the arms, body, legs, um, and the biggest cue I have for keeping a good posture and a good body position is keeping those feet down. So many people want to come way, way up on their toes because they think they're going to get a big, strong push off. Yeah. But anybody who's ever picked up something heavy, if you were to squat on your toes, what happens? You hurt your knees and you fall forward, right? You can't nearly put as much force down if you're coming off your toes as you can if you're strong, flat-footed. Yeah. And so, and from a, a more kinesiology kind of aspect of it, as soon as you lift your heels start lifting up, what do you think would happen to your body as you're coming up this way? So if somebody's squatting um, and they you see their heels lift up, what do you expect for their spine alignment to do? Depends on what they're squatting a little bit. Let's say back squatting, yeah, just like uh, most likely they're gonna start to round. They're gonna start to round. They're yeah, start to round as they overload their quads, exactly the pressure out of their hip. Exactly. And so same thing. And you know the hips are the hips are glutes and stuff are the strongest part of your body. And so as soon as those heels kick up, your hips start coming up underneath you on the earth, um, or when you're rowing in general. And so all of a sudden you're in this compromised position. And so they take that to a deadlift. If somebody was going to be going to a deadlift, 
and they're shifting their weight forward, that first motion is going to be the body's going to try to stand up from the shoulders. Mm -hmm. Same thing with rowing to where you're getting up there, if your heels are planted, your butt is naturally going to be back up just a little bit. It's going to be shoulders, hips over to your knees and then kind of that V shape opposed to being more of an L shape. Yep. And so you're going to be naturally leading from the hips than you are from leading from the back. So if you ever see any of your people um, growing and they're shooting their shoulders back or whatever, forcing them to put their, keep their feet down, it, they physically will not be able to get their hips underneath them if their heels are down yep. most of the time, unless there's some weird, crazy angles. Something going crazy angle mobility. <laughs> yeah, weird angle. Yeah, like. So how much like spinal flexion should there be in a stroke? None. None. Okay, so even when you're all the way, like knees bent, you're still sitting up. Right? You're still sitting up, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I know it gets annoying for, I'll look at my, my athletes and I'll go like this. I'll, and then, you know, oh, sit up. As a big chest is a, is a cue that I like to use. So you're coming up and the, the demonstration I like to do is if you're sitting at the catch and you were to reach yourself forward as much as possible and you arch your back and go back over your shoulders or up in your ears, if you were to take that, somebody was to hold onto your handle and you were to sink your shoulders back and just extend a little bit from your hips, you can keep it at the same point. If anything, you might lose a half an inch. The thing is, you're going to pick up so much more power and range at the end mm -hmm. if you're more of a lever that's yeah. hinging over. Um, as well as you'll be able to breathe. As well as you'll be able to breathe. I love putting people so in this big. position and yeah. have them go like this and say, okay, take a breath. <gasps> yeah. Doesn't work so well. Does not work at all. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it should be none. Again, it's yeah. just like um, just like deadlifting. So as soon as that art back arches, you're putting... I don't know what we say. Like middle of the thoracic is where all that that uh, pressure is going to go, kind of right there in the middle of your spine, um, sort of whatever range that would be. All that pressure goes to one spot, and so the biggest cue for that is big chest and uh, put your shoulder blades in your back pocket. Is what I like to see, like to say. I'm just getting up there, reach from the hips, sit up tall, and you can that way you can actually carry the weight through it. Opposed to again, like if you're at a deadlift and you were to hold on to the bar and you're just shooting your legs up and then you try to basically ground back RDL, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that'd be a similar thing. So very stiff, very structured, less stiff, I guess is a better way to put it. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, understanding the fundamentals of Olympic lifting would be mm -hmm. very beneficial because the way you structure and set up for a clean. Yeah, it has to have some rigidity to the spine. There has to be a lot of core engagement, yeah. the proper amount of pressure in the right places on the foot. Yeah. Um, now, clean's a little bit more ball of the foot driven. Doesn't yeah. Doesn't quite have as much of that of that heel constant pressure. Sure, for sure. Um, but, it's more of a jumping kind of ball yeah. feet kind of motion. Yeah, but it's man, if you take it and you just flip it down on its side then it looks so stupid similar to how you're actually producing that force into those blocks yeah. on the rower. Yeah, it's a, it's a really similar, even the, um, you know, rowers don't shoot back up to catch the weight like you would in the clean where you're yeah. dropping down to get it. But if and that's following through, you're just following through. So that's why I like it more to a clean pool. Okay. Um, oh, that so makes where, a lot of sense. Yeah, just because people think clean, they think catch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that clean pool is just that up and let it rip mm -hmm. is kind of it. Um, but that can go too far as well. So where if you're not keeping engaged with the foot, um, 
you know, imagine trying to do a clean pool, basically, but keeping your feet planted. Like that's where it's more similar to. So if you were a good way to train that on the rower is to just take your feet and strap them and do feet out rowing. Um, we'll do that on the water. We'll do that on the earth, just everything else. But it makes you, because if you don't, you look real stupid and silly because you're going to take a stroke and you're <laughs> back off the back. Um, so it's engaging that core, but very similar to how you would at the bottom of the catch of a clean though, to where you're having to catch it and <clears throat> catch it and keep that core engaged and be underneath that weight because you're not. Because at the end of the stroke, you have to engage so you don't just flop off. Yeah, you don't know, flop uh, off where you do what's called catching a crab, which is when you don't fit the oar out of the water and then it gets sucked up underneath the boat. Uh, and then you, <laughs> uh, you, get, you could get smacked in the face. Uh, <laughs> best one I ever saw was in college. This guy, he was a coxswain. We threw him into the boat for the day because somebody didn't come to practice. And the boat was going pretty good. They, the other three guys were good rowers. They were moving. And this is a four-man boat. They, he caught a crab. And God bless him. He tried to jump on top of it to like keep it out. <laughs> and his feet were a little small for the shoes. And all of a sudden, it just went flying back. And dope, out of the boat. Just completely. <laughs> it was I, a good effort. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good try. But there was no, there's literally nothing he could have done this was going to happen. The best thing he could have done was just to let it go. Yeah. Um, and then like try to dig it out. But yeah, he tried to jump on it and just whoo, right out, right out of it. I I had to control myself from laughing too much. I felt bad for him, but I he was fine. To, I can I can imagine what you're saying, but I'm gonna have to go watch some videos. Ejector I, I crab. See ejector yeah. crab. Ejector crab. Okay. I, I want to watch this. It's, a, it's it hilarious. hilarious. It's really funny. <laughs> Kick them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're gone. <laughs> uh, especially if, like, you know, we think about it, like, there's an eight man boat. Let's say every rower is on average 200 pounds. You're fighting a lot of force. That's a lot if of force. If your oar is in the wrong spot going the wrong way, yeah, it's it's eating a lot of energy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, especially if you're like sprinting, let alone anything else. Yeah. So if you do find yourself in a boat, if you do eventually actually try this for real life uh, on the water, just let it go. Just lay down. <laughs> don't try to be a superhero yeah. unless you're very experienced and you know what you're doing and you can think very quickly of how to get it out just don't <laughs> you're going to save yourself a lot of time and energy so speaking of uh getting into it yeah um you have an event that you're running yeah in the very yeah. near future yeah so that's actually we just shifted the date from uh, to the 26th uh so the hammer ergata um, so this is very much so closer to like what you would do at a gym. So it's on the rowing machines. Um, it's going to be down the Cleveland Rowing Foundation, um, which is on British Street down um, on the peninsula and uh, down the flats. And it's going to be anyone from high school to up ages. Uh, we'll have age bracket categories. It's a 1,000 meter uh, erg race for masters. Um, so that's after college age. Um, but we will have an open division. That's going to be rowing 2,000 meters, and so that'll be your high school and college and anybody who's feeling a little overzealous and might want to do it. Um, but highly encourage the open race for if somebody who wants to challenge themselves. Um, but it's free entry. Uh, we're accepting donations, of course. Um, there, you know, we'll be down there. It's going to be up on a screen. We'll actually plug the ERGs in all into so they're all connected to each other and then connected to a program. So there's going to be a projector on the screen that actually show like. You ever gone to the fair and you do a little squirt gun thing and the horses run along the track? 
yeah basically that yeah um, so you can set up you can set up like a pace boat on a rower yeah right so and imagine you can tell that. it that you need to hit a two minute 500 yeah and that boat goes two minutes for 500 yeah. and you're either with it or behind it or in front of it exactly and that little graphic so it's, this is a blown up version of that sort of but you're actually each person so you'll see like lane one two three four five six for the earth oh, so it's populated by the other earth by the other earth at a set time exactly cool and so um we can so you'll actually be able to see like the people watching We'll be able to see who's, who's winning, winning, who's where, like how far ahead they are and stuff. Cool. And so it's fun. Um, but yeah, it's called the Hammer Regatta. We haven't done it in a couple of years uh, because COVID and all that stuff. But uh, we're bringing it back. Um, it's open to anybody. Uh, if you're a rower or a crossfitter or you're just somebody who thinks that this could be fun, uh, I said totally free. Come down. Uh, we'll be putting out the sign up ideally later today. Um, it'll be on Flame Rowing Foundations and Case Western Reserves Rowings. Uh, Instagrams, uh, you know, just go. It'll be basic sign-up information, nothing crazy. And uh, it starts, we'll be starting at 8 a.m. Yeah, 8 a.m. will be the first race. Um, I don't know exactly offhand the order of events, uh, but they'll be going to about one, one or two, depending on how many people we have signed up. And how fast we work through them. Myself and Eric with Fitmer Function will be there too at the table. Yeah, there you go. And then, well, me, Phil, Eric, and another will also be on a team on the crazy chaotic sprint. Event. Yeah, the sledgehammer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the yeah, sledgehammer. The sledgehammer. Yeah. So the winner of that will actually get a trophy sledgehammer. Um, that will be. Oh, wood, we gotta win now. Will be wood burnt and kicking you off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, oh, no, I, I was know. The team. I know Eric could probably pull a big stroke. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gotta be co-ed teams too. So two guys, two girls. Oh, uh, so you gotta have, gotta have balance. Okay. Um, we have two girls. We don't. We'll just rename Aaron. <laughs> Should Aaron just get kicked off the team? Well, it's just Aaron. So, yeah, Eric, 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 Eric. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's five, 2,000 meter distance. It's a lot of fun. Um, everyone just rows 500 meters. So yeah, it's go and put everything on the line. The switches are the funniest thing. There's like there's people like crawling no down the feet and they're like, or they put them in or they don't put them in or whatever. So can I and, put my feet in and then Phil strap my feet in? Yep. It's teamwork. The whole thing teamwork. is teamwork. We've seen before of uh, like <laughs> someone sits behind the fan kind of thing, and then somebody jumps on and they just hold on to their feet, do whatever you think. <laughs> yeah, like it's as crazy as you think. Um, I love that. Yeah, That's good. and That's so good. Uh, the best way I've ever found was that you have someone kind of holding it there, and they get on, and um, so the the last person gets off. Uh, they push on the sides of the straps get up pull them out as fast as you can and then the next person jumps on and tries to slide their feet under and while this somebody else is trying to get your feet in and pull the straps tight you're just like arms and back knee just like yeah. keeping it moving okay and it should take like you know nascar pit stop style like all of a second and a half for somebody to go and pull your feet in yeah. you gotta practice they i recommend practicing yeah. otherwise somebody might get hurt so having we'll laugh at you having competed in a decent bit of crossfit stuff yeah but almost always as an individual a yeah. little bit of team here and there there's this very specific strategy to getting in and out of rowers workouts okay yeah if you set them up poorly then you can spend five ten seconds and, and lose a big score right just because you <clears throat> took time getting in or out yeah so um th there have been some workouts where you'll actually find the most benefit if you just fix the straps a little loose yeah so you can get in but also have that back that initial catch yeah yep yeah. um and i've had a workout where i even i put a piece of tape on the slide 
okay. to hold my seat at the point. Oh, so yeah. it wouldn't over override it once you get on it. Uh, well, actually, I just always stayed behind it. Oh, because okay. that was my fix. Gotcha. That, that, that was, was my heel on. Yeah, yeah that was my cash. Yeah. Um, so I would be able to sit on it in exactly the right place and okay. begin applying pressure yeah. instantly. Yeah. Um, and it it worked really well. I actually it was a it was the CrossFit Open, which oh, okay. is that kind of uh, first phase of competition for the CrossFit Games. Gotcha. Season. Gotcha. And I did the workout and got a decent score, and then thought about it and said, okay. Well, if I can transition a second faster each time over the course of 20 minutes with 12 transitions, there's a, lot. there's a handful of reps. Yeah. And if I can start applying force more quickly because a different seat alignment, yeah. then I can get another couple. And yeah. sure enough, I, I got like 30 more reps in my second go at it being 0% fitter yeah. just by having more aggressive in and out strategy. Being a little smarter. That's like, that's a very triathlete kind of mindset. Yeah, yeah triathlete. Right, I'm going to have uh, my shoes laced open this, or I'm yeah, going to wear yeah. the bungee shoes, or yeah, you you know, know, whatever. It's got to be set perfectly. No, we both race cyclocross, yeah. um, which is wild. off the bike, on the bike. You, yeah. run, you run through the mud, you carry it through sand, you go up the snowy hills. Yeah. It's crazy. But a big part of that discipline is hopping on bikes. Yeah. I wring my hands like crazy when I watch triathletes mount their bikes. Oh, yeah. Because nobody knows how to jump onto a bike and start riding. Yeah. Which this is all we see every time we race is people doing this. Yeah. And I watch these triathletes like put one foot in, swing a leg over. <laughs> okay, now I'll ride. Yeah. They do everything else super fast. They yeah. change their shoes so fast and then watching them get on those bikes, just like, just learn how to keep it moving. Yeah. Timing their back yeah. times. Just go. <laughs> I did a few triathlons when I was in high school and college. And there were some people that got really weirdly good at it. But at the end of the day, it was like, they were like, oh, quick, get into it. And they're like pedaling on their shoes and like trying to get the one as it's going. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's, it's like, yeah, everything else is super snappy. But yeah, we, they, they took a page from, mm-hmm. you know, cyclocross. And it was like, all right, how do you guys do this? Which like, yeah. do you run? Do you have to take your feet out of the shoes? Or do you just unclip and run? Uh, so yeah, you're, you've got clipless pedals, which ironically oh, you clip in. So whatever the hell that means. Yeah. But, <laughs> so you're stuck on your pedals and yeah. you just kick out sideways. Yeah. Like you and then you're free. So when, when I'm coming off the bike to run over something, I'll kick out my right leg, swing it off the bike okay. while I'm still rolling forward at a pretty good pace. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll pop my left foot out and start running yeah. beside my bike. And then I'll pick it up over the thing or throw it on my shoulder okay. and keep running on the other side of it. I'm going to set my bike down while I still run and then kind of leave it a little bit in front of me. Yeah. Kind of push it forward. Ahead, yeah, yeah. And then I'll hop my hips up and onto it and find the left pedal and then the right pedal and clip in as I start pedaling. So it's very much in motion. It's some gymnastics level. It's, kind a, of it's a little bit. That a horse as, as a guy, the first couple of times I did it, I was a little nervous about the landing. Yeah. I was about uh, to ask, does that ever it gets, knock on us plan? Uh, <laughs> And back tires. Not <laughs> oh no, not that. I haven't I haven't ended up on the back tire. I've missed my pedal okay. um, when I That's went to re-engage it and yeah. I've put my foot through my wheel and actually just destroyed spokes and, oh. put, and tore apart a wheel. I imagine it took a doozy on your leg too. No, it, it was just just my just like, it, was, it was this oh, much okay. of my foot. I imagine so you like looting just that last end. leg through no, like just the toes, but it Got shredded it. the spokes. Yeah. Now it's going clink, 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 clink. And I stop and I go, oh crap. 
because I tried to get me to do a running start <laughs> onto the back of a tandem bicycle before. Yeah. And <laughs> what she doesn't have to do is I'm riding the bike. It's already rolling. All she has to do is we'll like I think that's worse though, because the bike is like under pressure. At least if you're the one pushing it's it. It's already safe. You're like going the same way. I don't think the stability is the aspect. I'm with her on this one. Um, Thank you. So I feel like the idea is more of the like matching speed unless uh, I'm going to fall. Because I feel like once you're on it, you're on it. Like yeah. that wouldn't be my worry. If I was trying to like running start, jump onto it. Yeah, I think it would be more of the matching speed. But like all of a sudden, if you took an extra pedal a little bit harder, and you're like, oh, shit. Well, I don't do that. In fact, for her to jump on. I'm sure you don't. You're an extra. For her to, <laughs> I wouldn't go in that far. For her to jump on, I stop pedaling. Okay. So that the pedals aren't moving when she goes to engage with sure. it. He usually likes to do it about 60 miles into a race. And he'll start riding away from me and go, okay, jump on now. That's oh true. I, I, so I just like, don't, don't make him too mad beforehand. I go, okay, jump on. Go. And you're walking like, over. No, I don't want to run right now. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah, cyclocross is wild. I, I don't even understand. Over this. That that sledgehammer is gonna be pretty wild too. It'll be fun. It's gonna be chaotic. I know there's a there's a kid from Shaker who he's pulling crazy times right now. He's like a six eighteen toupee. Uh, he just committed to Penn. That's very uh, fast. It's real fast. He's creeping up on the boathouse record at six fifteen. Wow. Uh, with his former Ignatius kid who Cal, I think he went to Cal. I think that's where he ended up. Um, but. So that's a 137, I think, uh, something like that. Okay. Ballpark. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of that, but it, it's fast. It's real fast. And so he's going to, he has a couple people he's putting together. So you guys will have your money. You know, you, yeah, you cut out. Strong girl. Uh, but yeah, just make Monsky do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she's a little hurt right now, I know, but like, since I've pulled uh, a one or a 2K, but I've done a 2K in like a 628, I think. That's good. Um, That's I mean, I'm not a tall guy. No, um, but no. for me, it was when I- I saw everything for it. No. Power and application. Power and application. And that's yeah. what I really learned. Um, I was lucky enough to do a rowing course with Aaron Kafaro, who oh. is an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, I know the name. Also like three inches shorter than the field. Yeah. So small, her. So, so, I mean, she's still she's still like five eleven. Yeah, not a, not a tiny lady, but right. shorter than most of the people she's competing with. Right. Went back and reworked her game after one year's Olympics. Yeah. I did a lot of power cleans, did a lot of weightlifting, learned how to be better set, pushing things off the ground. Yeah. Transferred that onto a rower, goes back and takes gold. Yeah. Well, I think um, an excellent example. Do you know the name Ryan Hall? Yeah. Yeah. The American. The, American marathoner mm -hmm. he did a similar thing realized this losing weight losing weight losing weight's not working yeah I'd rather be strong yeah and he won and was faster when he was stronger yeah yeah, yeah. it's crazy it's yeah it, sometimes the simplest answer could be the right one but yeah. sometimes it's more of well what are all the factors because it's yeah. not a simple sport it's right. a very complicated endeavor that has so many inputs yeah that yeah. you really got to start tweaking a lot of different dials and seeing what you actually get out of them right and there is a division of called lightweight rowing as well um it's yeah. slowly going by the wayside as there's a lot of weighted stuff especially at the high school level just because of the, uh, the obvious reasons um yeah. especially uh, um but the 
you know, these people cut weight, cut weight, cut weight, cut weight. My general philosophy is if you can't naturally make lightweight, don't try. You're yeah. better off putting on a couple, like that extra 10 pounds and getting that being strong. Power. Yeah, be strong and healthy. And yeah. like, yeah, it's it's gonna take you a a lot farther. Um, it be as you're not gonna be constantly putting your body under stress. Like I said, granted, if you just naturally sit there, good for you. Yeah. Kudos. But like don't force yourself to do it. But again, like you're saying though, five eleven as a general rule, that's a tall, tall person, no matter who you're really at. Um, but even then, you know, I have a, had a kid that coached the St. Ed's. Uh, he was a stroke seat, so the front seat one close to the toxin. Amazing rower. He was like five, six on a good day. Um, he was four inches shorter than the guy sitting behind him, four or five inches shorter than the guy sitting behind him. Um, but he was an amazing rower. And it was all about application. Um, I was, you know, get out of hard nose. And it was one of those, like, you're going to have to go through me kind of attitudes. And so that's what we put him there. He wasn't the tallest guy in the boat, but he had one of the best strokes. And he was going to die before he gave up. And that's what we needed because everyone else is following that lead. And so it's how bad do you want it? And just like any other, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things of it, opposed to like with some just strength training. I'm like, at a certain point, you are only going to, like right now you were this strong. You can continue to get stronger. But like with racing sports, and it's what I fell in love with racing sports. If it's, you know, cycling or triathlons or running or rowing or whatever, it's, you know, how much pain are you willing to put yourself through for this? There's, and, there's an unmeasurable element of it. Yeah, is that X factor. Which is just how willing are you to suffer? Yeah. Uh, my cross-country coach used to put it well. He was, he said, you know, you go and play football, or you go and play, you know, some other contact sport, rugby, wrestling, whatever it might be. You might get hurt today. You might take a bad hit. You might do whatever. And it might, you might feel pain. But in racing sports, it's well, a matter, or even in, you know, CrossFit games, it's a matter of how much, which is, I guess, at the end of the day is a race, right? Yeah. Um, it's just not the same traditional you know, to the finish line. Um, it's how much pain are you willing to put yourself through and how much are you willing to sacrifice? And rowing is a very unique one of that. If it's cross country, it's track, it's CrossFit, it's swimming. Even outside of a relay, your effort on that leg, your effort in that race only affects you in those. With rowing, if you let up, you're letting down the other seven, the other four, the other whatever it is, the other person in your boat. The only exception to that is a, you know, a single man boat. But like you are making everyone else carry that weight that you're not putting. And that's why as odd as it is and as like lonesome as it is sometimes seeing like the one person sitting there erging, when they get put into a boat, it is the biggest team sport out there. Because everyone has to look and be functioning the exact same at the exact same time all together. Yeah. And if any one person lets up just that little bit, you lose the race by half a mile ball, like quarter of an inch. And I've had teams lose the inland races by that. And it's that, you know, that, that, that one kid, everyone comes back and is like, oh, I should have just pushed that a little bit harder. It's like, yeah, you should have. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme candidate is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably very similar. Yeah. Because like, you could. Just take it easy and look like you're doing the thing. So he does on the camera. Yeah, exactly. And then he leaves you to get left behind. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really excited no, for there, guys. Sorry, <laughs> we're excited to have you guys down there. It's gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah. Um, gonna be, to talk fun. to anybody you know that wants to. Yeah. The more people, the better. We're gonna get some teams um, coming from this gym. Yeah. If you know anybody who's able to wanting to sponsor it, that'd be great too. Uh, so we can buy hammers and all that kind of stuff. Because oh, that's the fun part. So sledgehammer gets the sledgehammer, right? 
have a price spray painted gold and wood burn onto it, you know, whatever. Uh, camera got a 2023. <laughs> so, um, and then each one of the other winners for the different events get a just a normal like carpenter's hammer that will oh, cool. also be, you know, for wood burn and all that stuff too. So cool. We walk away with some literal hardware. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It's great. Well, we're going to try. We're going to try. Yeah. So, yeah. So, awesome. if anybody's interested, definitely get in contact with Cleveland Foundation. We'll yeah. find a program for you. Um, if your kids are interested, there's something out there for you. Uh, but, you know, even if it's down to, we'd love to do stuff with more with the fitness community and in Cleveland. You know, if it's coming down, spend some time at the Bow House, see what this is about. Um, and or vice versa. You know, I know that I have a friend of mine who is interested in learning how to do Olympic lifts. So, so I encourage them to get involved with CrossFit. I was like, this will help you. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot about rowing. Yeah. Sorry for the rants. Thank you. Know, again, I get it so fast as you go. Sweet. I appreciate well, it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for coming. I look forward to doing this event. Yeah. You know, me too, in person, finally. Yeah. I know. And, uh, yeah. I complain about him enough. So That's fine. I, in person. <laughs> Thanks for watching and supporting the channel. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Let us know in the comments below what you liked, what you disliked, what you'd like to hear more of, and any questions we can help answer. We appreciate your support, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one.